0: Good morning. Worship team had their caffeine this morning, didn't they? (laughs) Love that. We're thinking this year um, about what it means for us to be the church. Um, That's why we're studying the book of 1 Corinthians. It shows us the church, somewhat broken, but the, the correctives for the church in Corinth are so good and so instructive to us. But let me, let me ask you a question this morning about our church. Do you consider Northwake to be a spirit filled church? Would you consider it to be a spirit, maybe a spirit led church? And that raises all kinds of uh, questions and ideas and thoughts. Some of us think of certain manifestations of the spirit when we think of spirit filled, maybe. Uh, speaking in tongues might be one of those things others of us think about the transformation of character that would evidence the the fullness of the spirit the the fruit of the spirit we might think about others might say you know spirit filled churches are just the result of spirit filled people gathering which just changes the question are you spirit filled? would that be a good way to describe you? What does the Spirit of God do when He is manifesting His presence in the church? What does that look like? Um, Alan Redpath in an article recently said, um, In many Christian circles, the Holy Spirit is either neglected, forgotten, or misunderstood. The one given to unite the body of Christ is the center of controversy. So often Christian work is so rigidly programmed that it seems we need no longer depend on the Spirit. But Jesus said, without me you can do nothing. And then he quotes A.W. Tozer who said, If the Holy Spirit was withdrawn from the church today, 95% of what we would do would go on and no one would know the difference. But if the Holy Spirit had been withdrawn from the New Testament church, 95% of what they did would stop and everybody would know the difference. I'm not sure that that's a good, that that necessarily applies one-to-one to to the church in Corinth, um, which was pretty messed up, even about the things of the Spirit, it, it turns out. But we want at North Wake, we want to be a church where the Spirit of God is evident here. When we gather, you encounter God's Spirit in our midst. When we are the church scattered in the world, we bear the marks of the Spirit of God with us in the conversations we have and the people we meet and the relationships we build. The early verses of 1 Corinthians 12 are what we want to look at today, and they show us two marks that the Spirit wants to bring upon the church as He manifests His presence in our midst. So if you'll open your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 12, I will lead us in prayer as we anticipate that. Okay? Let's pray. God, we pray that even in this part, maybe especially in this part of our worship, the Spirit would be evident. That He would be working in each one of us to do what only he can do to bring about conviction and understanding, that he would prompt us about what it is we need to do, that he would be shaping us and changing us. God, we invite him, as he happily does, to use the word now to mark our church with his presence. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Okay, we're going to start chapter 12, verse 1. It's now concerning spiritual gifts, brothers. I do not want you to be uninformed. Paul's concern here is about spiritual gifts. And it actually, that expression can be rendered broader than that. It's about spiritual things the things of the Spirit. He has something in mind here that's even bigger than just the gifts of the Spirit, I think. His concern is exactly the question that we are probing today. How does the church, how does the Spirit manifest His presence in the church? What is that supposed to look like? And is typical of the Corinthians, they don't have this right either. Um, You look at verses 2 and 3, he says, you know that when you're pagans... You led astray to mute, you were led astray to mute idols, however you were led. Therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking in the Spirit of God ever says, Jesus is cursed. And no one can say, Jesus is Lord, except in the Holy Spirit. So evidently, the Corinthians, before they were believers, participated in pagan idolatry of, of a sort where they may actually have been Cursing Jesus in the, in the speech that they were given as part of their worship. Um, but now, enabled by the Holy Spirit, they are able to confess that Jesus is Lord. Now, these are not magic words. They are not incantations that you can use to tell if somebody's a Christian. Can you say Jesus is Lord? He said it. He's a Christian. It doesn't, it's not what Paul's talking about. It's not, these are not incantations. Because I just read aloud, Jesus is accursed. I couldn't say that if this was some kind of magic screening device. Okay? You can go down to any atheist and ask him, can you say Jesus is Lord? He'll be able to say it. Okay? It's not about the words you say. It's about the profession you make out of the belief that you hold. This is a genuine profession, and obviously the Spirit of God is not going to give someone the ability to curse Jesus, the Son of God. Paul says it's only by the Holy Spirit that we can truly profess that Jesus is Lord. Anyone can say those words, but only by the Spirit of God can we believe them. And live our lives by them. This was one of the first Christian confessions. Chris, Christian confessions, first creeds. Jesus is Lord, and it was a weighty confession. Um, Gordon Fee brings this out in his commentary. He expands on this in this fashion: Jesus, the crucified one, is by his resurrection Lord of all the creation, all the universe. Okay. That's what's waited in this confession that Jesus the one crucified is he not was but he is he is risen he's the resurrected lord of all and so when we say Jesus is lord that's what we're confessing that's what we are saying we don't just say it we believe it and it is to shape our lives And this comes to us, this this understanding, this faith, comes to us only by the Spirit of God. If you remember, back in 1 Corinthians 2, Paul told us that. He said, "...these things God has revealed to us through the Spirit. For the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. For who knows a person's thoughts except the Spirit of that person, which is in him? So also, no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God." The spiritual person is someone whom the Spirit has given understanding of the gospel, the good news. Um, And we only can say Jesus is Lord and mean it by the grace of the Spirit. This is the first mark that the Spirit of God produces in a church when he manifests himself. The Spirit exalts Jesus as Lord in a church He does this by bringing us to faith in Jesus as Lord and saving us, the Bible says. He also does it by bringing us to increasingly live this out as we submit to Christ's Lordship inch by inch as we grow to love and trust Him more and more. So in a church that's Spirit-filled or Spirit-led, Jesus is exalted as Lord That means Jesus will be central and supreme on Sunday mornings. Sunday mornings are not about the personality of the pastor or the skill of the worship team. Those things will still be present, but they serve someone greater. They serve to exalt Jesus Christ. That's what the Spirit does when He manifests His presence in the gathered church. When the church sings, she sings to exalt Jesus as Lord, not just to tap into the latest song on the radio, the hippest, trendiest thing out there. She sings to exalt Jesus as Lord. When the church gives testimony, she speaks of Jesus and his mercy and his power in our lives. In the church where the Spirit is made manifest, Jesus is exalted supreme as Lord above all. Um, There was a a submittal a while back in the Minneapolis Star Tribune by a lady named uh, Judy Zmerald. She writes about three-year-old Katie who was taken to a pediatrician during a recent bout with the flu, and as the doctor is examining her ears, he asks her, Will I find Big Bird in here? She's a little puzzled, and she says, "Um, No. Then he starts examining her throat, throat) and he asks, Will I find Cookie Monster in here? Again, she kind of incredulously says, No. He's listening to her heart, and he says, Will I find Barney in here? And she looks directly in his eye and with great conviction says, No, Jesus is in my heart. Barney is on my underwear. (laughs) See? What the Spirit does in the church is he exalts Jesus supreme over all, even large purple dinosaurs. That's when you know that a church is spirit-led, spirit-filled. It's one of the marks. There are many. We'll look at two today. Jesus is exalted alone as Lord, supreme above all others, in the church gathered. So it it would be deeply troubling to come to a, a church gathering and Jesus not be mentioned. But also in our lives, this begins with conversion, we call it, when you become a follower of Jesus Christ by faith in his death and resurrection. You become a follower. Are you a follower of Jesus Christ? Because one of the other marks of a spirit-led church is that Jesus is going to be exalted and you are going to be invited to follow him, to believe in him. Do you Follow Jesus. Do you believe in him? Are you willing to believe and follow him as Lord? Remember that confession. Um, Jesus, the crucified one, is by his resurrection Lord of all the universe. Do you believe that and will you follow him? And um, today at the end of the service, I'm going to give you a chance to believe right at the close of our time together. And of course, this continues beyond our conversion. A Spirit-led church is comprised of Spirit-led people who exalt by their own individual lives Jesus as Lord. So every week, we bring a life, a week full of it, here, and we offer that to Jesus as worship. Is what you are bringing a week marked by the exaltation of Jesus as Lord, where you work? Has Jesus been exalted and worshiped in your work this week? How about in your relationships, especially at home? By what you teach and what you say, by the way you serve, by the way you obey. Has Jesus been exalted in your home by your example this week? Has he been exalted as Lord there? Is Christ increasingly Lord of all for you? Or do you have pockets of resistance? Maybe your finances or maybe what you watch or maybe the way you talk or maybe what you take pleasure in or maybe what you're afraid of. Is Christ increasingly Lord of all for you? What's the next great area you need to trust and submit to Him in? What would that be for you? When the Spirit manifests Himself in the church, Jesus is exalted as Lord. And we bring then to this worship gathering lives that has exalted Him as Lord by the Spirit's grace all week long. That's what we offer. Only by the Spirit can we exalt Jesus as Lord with our lips and our lives. That's what the Spirit does. He glorifies Jesus. He exalts Him. Jesus was talking about that in John 16, in verse 12. He says, "I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. When the Spirit of truth comes, He will guide you into all truth, for He will not speak on His own authority." But whatever he hears, he will speak and he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, Jesus says, for he will take what is mine, declare it to you. The Spirit exalts Christ. He exalts Jesus as Lord. And that's what we must be as a people at North Wake. We must be a church in our gatherings, in our lives where the Spirit is permitted to exalt Jesus as Lord in our midst. That's the first mark. There's a second one. Um, starts in <clears throat> verses 4 through 6. There are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it's the same God who empowers them all In everyone. The second manifestation of the Spirit in the church that Paul's writing about is unity that is fueled and protected by radical diversity, a unity and diversity that are rooted in the very nature of God. You notice how he says this. He talks about the same Spirit, the same Lord. And the same God. If you are a faithful life changer, you are having an aha moment. It's the Trinity in disguise right here. This is the earliest of New Testament references to the Trinity explicitly. Um, He talks about the Spirit, the Lord who is the Son, and God who is the Father. That in them there is a diversity of persons and unity of essence. In the Trinity, there are three persons, one God. God the Son and God the Holy Spirit have exactly the same nature or being as God the Father in every way. Whatever attributes and power God the Father has, God the Son and God the Holy Spirit have as well. Thus, God the Son and God the Holy Spirit are also eternal omnipresent, omnipotent, infinitely wise, infinitely holy, infinitely loving, and omniscient. Um, So Wayne Grudem teaches us. In God himself, there is a diversity of persons who are one in essence, three persons, one God. And when the Spirit has his way with the church, we represent that. A unity fueled and protected and strengthened by our diversity. Now in an amazing verse Paul in the next verse says this, to each to each is given the manifestation of the spirit for the common good. The Spirit, Paul says, manifests Himself in each member of the body for the good of the body. So notice first, when we're talking about spiritual gifts, we're not talking about something that the Spirit has that He puts in you. It is an actual manifestation of the Spirit of God Himself. It's the way the Spirit shows Himself through you and he does that through each one of us through every single member of the church in Corinth he did it and he belongs to do it through every single member of the church at North Wake the very Spirit of God wants to manifest himself through you every believer no matter how young how old everyone there is no believer in this room that this is not true of. This does not only apply apply to pastors or missionaries or people who are ordained. This is every member of the church. The Spirit is going to manifest Himself through you. Not just through the guy next to you, but through you. This is um, a remarkable verse. The Spirit of God wants to manifest Himself through you for the good of this church. He kind of describes this and the diversity of this in the remainder of our passage. For to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom and to another the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit. Can you hear the unity and the diversity? To one this, to another that, still another one this, and yet another one that, all through one Spirit. All through one Spirit. Nine different things are listed here. um, Expressing the diversity of the manifestation of the Spirit in the church. And this isn't the only list. There are other lists. People count up 20, maybe 21 different manifestations of the Spirit that are listed, um, all in different orders, all in different ways, The the point is the diversity by which the Spirit manifests Himself in the church. Now, the church in Corinth, when we get to chapter 14, you'll see they evidently had a fascination with one gift above the others. And that was the gift of speaking in tongues. And that seemed to have elevated to a higher, more spiritual status than the other ones. As a result those other gifts are being neglected, even disparaged, and as a result, the body of Christ was being divided. Now, I hope you understand the ramifications of that. When members of the body do not allow the Spirit to manifest Himself through them, the body suffers. If you are sidelined and a spectator... In the life of the body of Christ, the body suffers for that. We, our unity, is imperiled by that. Paul elaborates that in verses we'll we'll deal with extensively, I hope, next week. Down in verse 21 of our chapter. He's talking about the body of Christ like a physical body. And he says, The eye "...giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together." And so the Spirit, only the Spirit, produces this diversity so that the body will be united. Only when we recognize and affirm the giftedness of those around us who are different than us, can we be the body of Christ as we're supposed to be. Can we be one? In that last verse that we looked at in verse 11, it says, All these are empowered by one and the same Spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. This is what the Spirit does in us, not what we do for the Spirit. This is what the Spirit does in and through us, not what we do for the Spirit. So it's not about somebody out here this morning deciding, I want to be a teacher, so I'm going to go enroll in a school down the street and I'm going to become a teacher and serve the church as a teacher. The Spirit of God will manifest Himself in someone such that they have the gift of teaching, and then they may choose to go down the street and refine that gift. Um, John Piper helps us think about this when he compares the way Jesus Christ enlists us to serve versus the way Uncle Sam enlists us to serve. He says it this way. He says, The difference between Uncle Sam and Jesus Christ is that Uncle Sam won't enlist you unless you are healthy, And Jesus won't enlist you unless you are sick. What is God looking for in the world? Assistants? Helpers? No. The gospel is not a help-wanted ad. It is a help-available ad. God is not... This is where he's talking about what we're talking about. God is not looking for people to work for him but people who let Him work mightily in and through them. The Spirit manifests Him through, through us uniquely according to His will and design. Okay. According to His will and design. What interests me, as you read over this, there's no um, instructions... From Paul about how you figure out what your gift is. Okay. They're not little footnotes in the Bible that says, you know, or an appendix that says, here's a little test you can take. It'll tell you what your spiritual gift is. We give those tests in our new members' class just to help you get the ball rolling, but they're not biblical. The, as far as I know, the Bible never has people wrestle with what their gift is. Um, in fact, um, This whole section is not really about the gift. It's about the Spirit who manifests Himself in these ways through the church. It's about the Spirit, not so much about the gift. Um, The Spirit is the one who manifests Himself in the church in these diverse but unifying ways. He is the one who enables and empowers these things to happen. It's according to His goodwill that each one manifests His presence in that unique way. It's not really about us primarily and our gifts. It's about the Spirit of God, the Spirit of the living God, the very Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity manifesting His presence through each one of us in the church for our common good the holy spirit intends to manifest himself through you to build up this church that's why you're here the spirit wants to manifest himself through you are you good with that are you aware of that Are you cooperating with that? Are you releasing that for the good of the church? Are you willing to trust him to do something miraculous through you? You go down this list and it's really hard to figure out exactly what precisely they all mean. Um, There aren't elaborate explanations. They're just a word here, a word there. And we're trying desperately to figure them out, but we don't know precisely what it means. But one thing that can be said, some of these are not normal. This is not your normal, everyday stuff. Some of them are, like the gifts of service, it's mentioned elsewhere, that's pretty normal. Although some of your spouses might think it was a miracle if you started serving around the house, a miracle of God in that regard. But typically, it's more ordinary. But some of these, you just can't explain any other way the working of miracles as miraculous. Miraculous. That the Spirit of God wants to, through some in our midst, to do miraculous things. Could it be you? Or me? Or somebody in your group? Small group? But through each one of us, in an extraordinary way, the Spirit is going to manifest Himself to build up this church. It's what he longs to do. Are you available to allow the Spirit to work through you to make your contribution to this church? There is a Latin phrase. Um, I love Latin. I can't speak it, but it just sounds so cool, doesn't it? And don't you feel like a scholar if you can say something in Latin. Um, There's an old phrase, it goes all the way back to Greek philosophers like um, Heraclitus and uh, the poetry of Virgil. St. Augustine quoted this phrase in his Confessions. Um, It was around during the American Revolution, symbolized uh, the new nation that came about. And then about 1786, it found its way onto the back of some coins in our nation, still there in fact, if you have a dollar bill I'd like you to get it out seriously I'm serious if you have a dollar bill pull it out you can show this to your kids it's really pretty cool it's not a second offering don't worry about it we're just I wanted to show you something that's on actually on our dollar bill and have you think about how it relates to what we're learning um, if you don't have one you should get one so it's good to have a dollar um, but you'll notice there's a the seal the great seal of the United States is in two places there on the right hand side there is an eagle with a banner in his mouth. Anybody got really good eyes and can read what that banner says? E pluribus unum. Doesn't that sound great? Doesn't that sound... Didn't you feel smart when you said that? <laughs> e pluribus unum. Yeah? Just greet, greet somebody with that the next time you see them. Um, it means, out of the many, one. And in the day, it represented the 13 colonies coming together to make one nation. Now it represents that our nation is a melting pot of people and cultures. We still are one people. But for us, for those of us who sit under the teaching of this chapter 12 of 1 Corinthians, it's vested with an even greater meaning. It teaches us about the church. Out of the many, one. One. Um, E pluribus unum. Out of the many, one. One Spirit-led church with many manifestations through each one. So our applications today center around our availability for the Spirit to manifest Himself through me for the good of the church. And related to that, is our response to the lordship of christ are we exalting him in our lives that i think is why those two things are positioned so closely here that's how we allow the spirit to manifest himself with these gifts is by our submission to the lordship of christ in every area of our life so today if god is speaking to you about your submission to the lordship of christ you should respond to that with great humility and promptness opening your life to that if god's speaking to you about your willingness to let the spirit use you as he pleases in this family and in our ministries outside of this room then you should submit to that today as god calls you to that for the common good for the good of the church that we might truly be spirit-filled. But I made a promise earlier that if you were here today, I was going to give you a chance to choose to follow Jesus Christ today. And I'd like to give you that opportunity by means of a story um, that's told by John Orper. He says, My wife Nancy and I were in a part of the country we had never been before. we're going to be driving on obscure back roads so we got a rental car and the guy at the counter said to me along with this car if you want you can get a GPS system he says have you ever had a GPS? he said you plug it in punch in your destination and a woman's voice will tell you how to get wherever it is that you are going Um, well when the guy at the counter asked if I wanted it my immediate response was no that's gonna cost extra I don't need that in a typical guy fashion, he says, I can find where I'm going without that. His wife said, get the GPS. So we got the GPS, he says. <laughs> he says, here's the deal. You can get the box, you can have the lady in the car, but that doesn't mean you trust her. If you trust her, what do you do? You do what she says. You go where she tells you to go. She says, turn left, you turn left. If she says, turn left, and in your heart, you're thinking, but I want to turn right. He says, you need to remember this verse. There is a way that seems right to a man, but the end thereof is death. He said, just remember that. (laughs) To follow Jesus, he says, means I will do what he says. I will mess up a lot, and I'm going to need his power. I know that. But I form the intention, I say to him, God, with your help, as best I can, I will do what you say. I will give you my life, my time, my obedience. If that is not your settled intent, then it's best to be honest about it. If that is not your settled intent, then whatever else you might be, you are not a follower of Jesus. An admirer, maybe. But he is looking for followers. He is looking for someone who will say yes to God. He says there's something else you need to know about him, something else that's also true when you deal with a GPS. At one point, he says, when we were driving in this car, I was quite sure the lady was wrong. She said to go left, and I didn't go left. I went right because I knew she was wrong. Then, as an interesting response, she said Recalculating route. When safe to do so, execute a U turn. He says, I knew she was wrong, so I unplugged her. He said, That's the beauty of it. You can unplug her. He says, I got lost as a goose. My wife thoroughly enjoyed that. He says, So we plugged the lady back in, and you know what she said? She said, You think I'm going to help you now? You rejected me. Just find your way home by yourself. No, she didn't say that. She said, recalculating route. When safe to do so, execute a U-turn. He says, that's grace. As soon as you're ready to listen, as soon as you're ready to surrender, God will say, here's the way home. Execute a U-turn. He said, that U-turn That's repentance. I'll bring you home. That's grace. That's Jesus. He's the only one with authoritative wisdom about how to live. He's the only one who brings about the possibility of forgiveness for your sin and, he says, for mine. He is the only one to give any kind of realistic hope of conquering death, of life beyond the grave. Why would you not give your full devotion to Jesus? He does not present himself only as a good spiritual teacher to be admired from a distance. He presents himself as master, as Lord, as the one to be followed and served and obeyed and worshipped. There is no other way. He is it. Let's pray together. Father we we bow our heads before you as a symbol with our bodies of our submission to the lordship of your son Jesus. It's a way we say yes to exalting him over us. And father in this room it may be that some are understanding and meaning their posture For the first time in their lives today. That today they are acknowledging that they need a Savior. That they have sinned and messed up and gone their own way. And today they are repenting and turning instead to follow Jesus. Father, hear their prayer. As they confess their need and trust you to meet it, their need for a Savior. And Father, I pray for all of us in this room that our, our bowed heads in this moment might symbolize new frontiers of submission to you in our lives, things we've been holding back, things we've been keeping to ourselves, things we've been running our own way. We want the Spirit to manifest Himself in this church, in our lives, by exalting Jesus as Lord of these areas. And we offer this with thankful hearts for the good work of the Spirit in our lives. We pray in His his name, in Jesus' name, and Father, Yours, we pray. Amen.